you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy November to you. Oh my goodness, the holiday season is officially upon us. And how did those words even just come out of my mouth? How does time even fly like this? I feel like I just got back from spending a month at the beach in July and telling you all about blue skies. And now I'm sitting here saying, happy November to you. Speaking of Blue Skies, I'm so excited to say that blueskiesministries.org is our official sponsor this year for our Christmas tour called A Night of Hope, A Family Christmas. We are so excited about venturing out again with our family and friends for these very special nights. As you know, this tour has meant so much to us in the past few years with our kids getting to be involved and participate in the night. Before coming to a city near you, we would love to have you. We're going to be in Hopkinsville, Kentucky on December 7th, and then December 8th and 9th, we are so excited to be in our little downtown Franklin at our favorite little historic theater. And then the next weekend on December 12th, we'll be in Springville, Illinois, and then in Adrian, Michigan on the 13th, and then Northville, Michigan on the 14th, and then way back down south to Atlanta on the 15th for the final show. We've been also keeping a little secret that I'm going to let you in on right now. I am so excited to announce that on November 8th, which for some of you listening, that might be today, we are releasing a reimagined version of our Christmas album called The Thrill of Hope Renewed. We've actually had so much fun with this. It was actually kind of birthed out of us loving getting to lead and share these songs in the live setting. We've cherished our kids being involved, like I said, but also we've had the privilege of getting to travel with some incredible musicians that just inspired us to want to come around these songs again that we just love and aren't ready to walk away from. And we've just sort of refreshed and imagined some of them. You're going to hear some kind of pop, bluegrass style coming through on some of them. You're going to hear some brand new songs and some different arrangements of some old faithfuls. I already sent the link to Eric and Kristen, my brother and sister-in-law, and they texted us with all the crying emojis, (laughs) which I think Nathan and I just needed that moment. Releasing new music is like showing the world your newborn baby. And okay, they might be a little bit biased, so maybe it doesn't like fully count when they're crying and freaking out. (laughs) But it actually matters to us because Eric and Kristen, as you know, have inspired in us so many songs. And so it's so meaningful to us when they get it and they understand the depth of it and they encourage us. One of the songs that Eric inspired on the original version was just this little chorus that we wrote that Annie sang on when she was eight. You might remember she came out of this other song singing, Make Good Your Christmas Day that Christ be born in you, and He who gave His life for you will be with you all year through. Well, that's a quote by a poet named John Donnay from the 1600s that Eric brought my attention to. And so for this version, we created a full song that both girls actually are singing on, but it's actually my favorite on the new album. I want to read you the lyrics. It says, "'Wondering brother, won't you come on home?' Wondering brother, won't you come on home? Nothing in this world can satisfy, no place to rest but the Lord tonight. So wondering brother, won't you come on home? Come on sister, won't you lift your eyes? Come on sister, won't you lift your eyes? For your light has come to shine on you. He's the Prince of Peace and He'll see you through. So come on sister, won't you lift your eyes and make good your Christmas day that Christ be born in you and He who gave His life for you will be with you all year through. 
So weary world, won't you come take heart? Weary world, won't you come take heart? Born is the king who ransomed you, and he's calling you to believe it's true. So weary world, won't you come take heart and make good your Christmas day, that Christ be born in you, and he who gave his life for you will be with you all year through. And then we go into the original Noel. Noel, born is the king of Israel. And then we go into singing to our own soul. Oh, my soul, won't you sing for joy? Oh, my soul, won't you sing for joy? Go and tell the world the gladsome news that the king has made his home in you. Oh, my soul, won't you sing for joy and make good your Christmas day, for Christ is born in you. And he who gave his life for you, he is with you all year through. This one is one that I imagine you and your family singing in the car, or maybe you just by yourself on your commute as a way of keeping Christmas well in your heart this season. Also on this renewed version, you're going to get to hear the story behind the song Amaryllis that we've shared at our Christmas concerts. If you've come to one of those, some of you have actually asked if that audio was available anywhere, and now it is. And one completely new song, well, at least it's new to me, is the song Is He Worthy, written by Andrew Peterson. I heard this song last year, and I completely fell in love with it. And honestly, it's one of those songs that I literally cry every time I hear it. I actually really wanted to lead this song last year on my Christmas tour, but we all decided that it was still a little bit early and maybe people didn't know it. They weren't familiar with it yet. So when I had the idea to do this renewed and reimagined version of The Thrill of Hope, I knew that I wanted to record Is He Worthy. It's not a song that's specific to Christmas, but I think it's a wonderful song for us to sing at Christmas. And as you might remember, this album, The Thrill of Hope, even this renewed version still has the same arc to the story where we celebrate the three parts parts or postures of Advent. Advent simply means arrival. And the first posture of Advent is placing ourselves in that ancient longing of what it must have been like to have waited on the Messiah all those years ago, to have heard the prophecy and to have believed that He would come. And that second posture of Advent is that Emmanuel is with us now. The King has come, and we celebrate the arrival of Christ in our hearts, in the here and now, His presence with us by His Holy Spirit, which I think is one of the most beautiful things about getting to get shoulder to shoulder with God's people to sing and remember any time of year, but especially this time of year, to celebrate that He is with us here and now. And then, of course, at the end, we end the record with the posture that He will come again, that this King is coming again for His own. You might remember that Joy to the World at the end of the record. I've placed that on there on purpose because it wasn't originally a Christmas hymn. It was originally written as a second coming hymn. So it's sung from the perspective that Christ will come again. So for the last few years, we've been closing our nights out as you know families on this Night of Hope tour with our faces and hearts pointed upward singing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room and heaven and nature sing. And now I couldn't be more excited that this song, Is He Worthy, will come after that. It's written from Revelation 5. In fact, 
This ties into part one on prayer to me, and even part two today on how we get to be reminded again of the friendship and the fear of knowing God, something that I believe is available to all of us and is a part of the great mystery of enjoying and knowing God. But like I said before, it's many times a both and when you get to walk with the Lord. I think it speaks to deep calling unto deep when we get to walk with the Lord and experience the intimacy and the awe of knowing Jesus. John experienced this as he wrote down these visions in Revelation, the intimacy and the awe of knowing this Jesus when he wrote, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We're going to come back to Revelation 5 in a minute, but I will just say it's a powerful way to end a Christmas record. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. To just sing, Worthy is the Lamb. And as you know by now, there's just always a reason for everything that Nathan and I do. And I love having this podcast to be able to tell you the reasons. In a world of Spotify and digital music, I miss the days when, you know, you go out and buy a record and look at the liner notes because we cared about why the artists were doing what they were doing. And I'm glad that I can at least give you a little bit of framework around this renewed version and why it's so special to us. It's available um, anywhere you listen to music. And I'm excited for you to get to journey through these songs that have meant so much to us. As you might imagine, the Thrill of Hope original album from 2016 was so symbolic for Nathan and I in so many ways. It was our first album as independent artists again since the 90s. It was the first time that I'd ever publicly fundraised for an album. 
and I hope maybe the last time, I don't know, we'll see. (laughs) You supported it like crazy, and you helped us have even more money than we needed, which gave us the ability to put this little nest egg into our independent record label account, and that gave us money to make a little album called Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved. So you guys got two records in one right there, and maybe even more than that, really, if I think about it. The instrumental album came out of that, but it just helped us get going. And we so appreciate that. But the thrill of hope from the very beginning has just led us to even getting to share this renewed version. I don't know if you remember me telling you that the Lord gave me the title, The Thrill of Hope, when we were in Orlando the summer of 2016, as we were making that original album, our family went on vacation to some theme parks out there, which we're not really you know, big on theme parks, but the kids had been asking to do some specific things. So we just knew we needed to get away in the middle of that recording and focus on them, have some fun. But while we were out there, I don't know if you remember me telling you that literally three tragedies happened in Orlando that very week. And if you have kids listening right now, you might want to turn the volume down. But you remember that Christy Grimmie, a singer-songwriter that was featured on The Voice, she was tragically killed in Orlando at her own show. And it involved a shooting, and that was only miles from where we were staying. And then you might remember the terrible nightclub shooting that killed around 50 people, injured even more than that. That was the next night that we were there, again, just miles from where we were staying. And then Wednesday morning, we woke up to the news that A two-year-old little boy had been tragically killed at Disney World by an alligator attack. Those are words that should never come together and make a sentence. And there we were, like right where it happened. We had been on that boat in the water, in that same water, that same day. And I remember just feeling literally sick to my stomach for all of the families of those loved ones. And then at the parks, you could just see it on everyone's faces. Everyone was in utter shock. The parks were like eerily quiet as everyone just like seemed like they were on edge. Security was tight. The lines were long. Everyone was uptight. I remember walking through the Magic Kingdom thinking to myself, you know, how we flock to places like this, especially in the culture we're living in for some sort of thrill, some sort of magical lift from life as we know it. And then when tragedy strikes in the very city of magic, no one even knew what to do. It was like some sort of veil had lifted and the jig was up and we suddenly saw nothing but just pain and brokenness in the very place where we had come to seek a thrill. And then it came to me, the thrill of hope. There's nothing like hope. The thrill of knowing that you really can lift your eyes towards something that's real, something that's reliable, someone you can count on, someone you can truly set your heart and stake your life on. Yes, it's a line in a beautiful song that's still on the original version to enjoy. But our hope this Christmas and always is a person, and His name is Jesus. And there's nothing like having the thrill of hope renewed in our hearts all over again, that He is here and we can run to Him no matter what is going on. I was looking at my website today at a blog that I had written around when we announced the title, The Thrill of Hope. So not long after that had happened, I wrote this, well, we had planned to have some buildup to announcing the title of the record. We had clever posts with captions we were going to hint at leading up to today, but all in all, isn't it a little more like hope to come with no fanfare? It surprises the night with a tiny glimmer of something in your gut that says, I'm going to be okay. 
It reminds me of how Jesus arrived, no fluff, no big lead-in, yet with all the intentions of heaven in His heart. I don't know about you, but I've never seen anything like the times that we're living in. The climate of our world is unpredictable at best. I'm a worship leader, but I've remembered more over the last few months about myself as an artist. Artists are compelled to bring order to themes, and when you're a believer, you long to bring order to themes that you know that God is dropping inside of your heart as you look at the world around you. Hope has been the theme in me. I've never felt more sure that our art, and most importantly, our lives, must be beacons of hope in the midst of possibly some of our darkest days. I'm praying over these songs today that make up the thrill of hope. Even as I've been singing the vocals, I've wiped away tears because I want people to know the hope of my Jesus. The thrill of hope is going to bring the love of our Savior to someone's life this Christmas, that they might know His love all year through and for eternity. Well, just so you know, I still feel the same way and even stronger about the thrill of hope renewed. It's a fresh way to come around the same heartbeat that Jesus is with us. And again, if we are in a city near you, make plans to come and join us and experience the hope of Jesus with us this season. We want these nights to be something that you could invite a friend or a coworker or a neighbor to, maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus. And we pray that it's a night that people can come and find the true hope and peace of Christmas, who is Jesus. Well, let's dig into part two of prayer and how it plays a massive part in what it looks like for us to endure in this withering world. We talked about the fact that this Abba cry was awakened in us at our spiritual rebirth because the Spirit of God is living in us, the Spirit of adoption by which we cry Abba. And since we belong to God, it is everything that we learn to communicate with this God who we belong to, who loves us and actually wants to hear from us. We talked about using the Psalms if we don't know where to start how God has given us 150 poems and songs that we can express our hearts to Him with, and that songs and prayers and poems can even be birthed out of these psalms. He's given us a language in which to communicate with His heart, which I find beautiful and extremely useful and crucial to my day. We talked about what it looks like to pray without ceasing, which is actually this thing where we never really hang up on the phone you know, with God. We talked about that. It's this extended conversation throughout our day with this God who loves us and, again, wants to hear from us. Henry Nouwen, in the book called The Way of the Heart, talked about ceaseless interior prayer being the continual yearning of the human spirit towards God. So it's a yearning that starts as an actual conversation with God in the stillness that we might sit in with Him in the mornings, even if it's just a few minutes, to center our hearts again in His heart, in His Word. We find our place again as His beloved child and what it truly means to be His own. Again, the Psalms and being in His Word are crucial here to renew our minds. And then we carry this with us, this yearning in this conversation throughout the day. So we pick up where we left off as we get in our car. We might be you know, on our morning commute, stuck in traffic. This is a beautiful time to pray. A lot of times I have a 30-minute drive in front of me. I know that I need to just kind of settle in with it. I don't need to be distracted with my phone because it's against the law. <laughs> so often when I know that's in front of me, I will just ask the Lord when I get in my car to put people on my heart during that time to pray for. And usually someone's face or name will come to my mind immediately. So as I start driving, I just go with it. 
I'll start praying for that person. And then lo and behold, another person will pop in my head, and then I'll start praying for that person. Sometimes I just choose in that time to cover my my kids and my husband for that little stretch of road. You could do this in the carpool line as you're waiting. You could even do this in the grocery store. I will say I'm a little bit ADD for that. <laughs> I just have, a, have trouble reading my grocery list and figuring out where it is in the store. But if you know your list and your grocery store well, you could pray for people in the store. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll place a person or a situation I'm praying through at the forefront of my mind when I'm in the store or in my heart. And as as things come to my mind or my heart, I'll just breathe out those prayers. In that same book, The Way of the Heart, Henry Nouwen talks about this kind of prayer that passes from our lips to our heart and how when this happens, the prayer continues to pray within us, even as we go about our day. I know that might sound a little new age, but it's not. This is what prayer can look like. Like I said, even in the grocery store or a car commute, if something is heavy on me, I start praying about it, and then I'll just get still and begin to focus my mind and my heart around the finished work of Christ, around the power of His resurrection, around Christ's holiness. Again, this is that Revelation 5. What is true in the heavenlies is true on this earth. And I'll bring that mindset and that heart posture into what I'm praying over. Maybe you've done this before too, and I'm not weirding you out right now. (laughs) But we can love God with our mind in this way. We can pray even in our mind and believe that prayer can be really powerful when it's fostered like this. And it will teach our lips even what to say and breathe out as we pray and are mindful of who Christ is over the people we're praying for, who Christ is over the situation that we're praying for. I share with you about repetitive prayers that out of this praying without ceasing, where we're talking to God throughout our day, we're also confessing repetitive prayers that are true and that we want to make true of ourselves and our thoughts and our hearts. For instance, one of my repetitive prayers that I told you about is, Lord, give me the patience beyond what I'm capable of. This is prayed usually when I'm frustrated or life seems to be pulling at me from every side. This is a prayer really that the Spirit of God would come and be patient through me, that I wouldn't be acting out of my own ability to be calm and patient, which is you know short and limited, but that I would ask Him to come and do it through me. I wonder if you were able to identify some of your own repetitive prayers as I was talking about this, that you pray during the day as part of the Holy Spirit coming alongside your individual story and what you specifically need to cry out and pray to Him. Repetitive prayers can be really useful when praying for others as well. And I don't know if you heard about Toby Mack originally from the group DC Talk, he lost his oldest son, Truett, very recently. It was very sudden. He was only 21. Nathan and I are not close to Toby, but we know Toby and certainly have friends who are very close with them. They do attend our church, so we see them now and every now and then. But obviously, you don't have to be close to someone to feel a tremendous sense of loss on their behalf, especially as parents. We just get and have a deep understanding of a parent child relationship and what they must be going through right now. Part of the reason I wanted to mention this, of course, is that you would pray for them as they're grieving such a tremendous loss, but also to mention that praying without ceasing and even using repetitive prayers can be really useful in mourning with those who mourn. 
the day that we found out about Truett's death, I couldn't get Toby and Amanda out of my mind and my heart. And so after initially praying for them that morning through tears, I just found myself breathing out prayers all day long for that whole day and the next several days. And even today, I thought of them multiple times. And as the Lord is putting them on my heart, I'm remembering and being encouraged that that's what the Lord does. He puts His people on the hearts of each other, if that makes sense. Often for those who are grieving, I will pray Second Corinthians 1, 3-5, through 5, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. When someone's hurting, you can pray and ask that God Himself would comfort them in ways that only He knows how. But what's so beautiful is that also He will send people who have been through that very same thing, or He will prompt people, even hundreds of miles away, that have been through that same thing to pray. People who have been comforted by God in a similar way are able to pray in a different way, I believe. And I experienced this when I had my miscarriages. I could comfort people in a whole different way and pray for people because I myself had walked through God comforting me in that particular kind of loss. So it's really powerful, this God of all comfort, then comforting each other through the comfort we've experienced from the God of all comfort. One thing I ask for as well for people who are grieving is that God will send ministering angels. This is a real thing. (laughs) Asking the God of all comfort to wrap their family in the supernatural comfort that only God could give, but also that literally angels would minister to them, minister to their bodies and their hearts during the sorrow. Do you remember 1 Kings 19, where Elijah is fleeing for his life from Jezebel? It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. We came to a broom bush. He sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God, There he went into a cave and spent the night. When Elijah was running weary and didn't know what else to do, God sent angels to minister to him, to give him rest and actual food and water. And if you'll remember, God spoke with him after he reached Oreb. God didn't speak in the mighty wind that stirred up or in the earthquake or in the fire that came, but in a whisper, God whispered gently, to Elijah, meeting Elijah right where he was, knowing that he was weak and afraid. And he whispered to him what he needed to do next. Anyway, I'm a firm believer that God places us on one another's heart to stir up intercession on each other's behalf. In fact, this is another aspect of prayer in the middle of the mundane. If a friend comes to your mind seemingly out of nowhere, 
especially in the middle of the night, but really any time, know that this is not random. Most likely you have not thought of them out of nowhere, but God is putting them on your heart for a reason. This happened to me even just recently. The Lord put a friend on my heart just as I laid my head down on the pillow the other night, and then again the next day, and then again the next day. So I've been praying for her. Her husband is sick, so I knew that they were busy fighting for him and making decisions with doctors. Well, I finally texted her just to say, hey, the Lord is being faithful to put you on my heart to pray. I just want you to know I'm praying. Well, she texts back that actually several friends had done the same thing within that same 24 hours, and we didn't know it, but her husband is home on hospice, and there's been a, a shift in all of that. And so the Lord will place us on each other's hearts, especially in a shift when there's something that it's gone to a deeper level of we need to press into this. We need to be lifting up our friends and family, people that God is bringing to our hearts. I love His comfort and His heart in placing us on each other's hearts that we might press in in the time of need. I might have told you this before, but my friend Christy McClellan, who's a Bible teacher from our church, she shared with me that when the Bible talks about inheritance, especially in the Old Testament, that often it's speaking of people, meaning that people are our inheritance, meaning that you and I will inherit each other. I believe that this plays out on this side of heaven already and how God can connect us to certain people that we get to journey with in this. And I believe it's why us praying and interceding for each other is so powerful I think it keeps us humble too and asking each other for prayer. I recently asked my friend Megan to pray with me over some fear and anxiety that I was having in my life around a certain situation. And as soon as she started praying for me, the tears started flowing. <laughs> she prayed for me and spoke some powerful words of encouragement as well over my life that the very thing that the enemy was coming after with this fear was the opposite of what God actually wanted me to receive in this. Megan reminded me to ask God what it is that He specifically wants me to receive in this situation that I was fearful about. Ask Him what's true. And she said, chances are the enemy wants you to believe the exact opposite of that. Y'all, we need each other. We need to be asking each other for prayer and lifting each other up in this way and speaking what's true into each other's lives. It imparts so much, and I think it's all a part of that inheritance, that man, there's no brass ring in this life. We inherit each other. And it's so beautiful that we get to come alongside each other in this way. So if someone comes to your mind, take this as a prompting from the Holy Spirit and pray for them. Also, when you're texting with someone and they maybe ask you for prayer, or if you're just having a conversation and they say, yeah, would you just pray for me in that? Pray for them right then. (laughs) That's what my friend Megan did. We just stopped right in her front yard on the sidewalk, and she prayed for me. And I just opened my hands right there. When you're texting with someone, pray in a text so that they see what you're praying for them. Often I've just known that, you know, I get busy and I'll walk away from that and I'll realize four days later, oh my goodness, I didn't pray for that person. So instead, what I do is I will pause right then. If they ask me to pray for them, I'll either pray for them on the spot or I'll just, even just if it's a few sentences or even in the text, I'll pray, like I said, so that they can see what I'm praying for them. Or I'll say, I'm praying right now. And I will, before I get up from that text, I will pause and I will pray for them right then. 
Again, this is just another practical way that we can pray without ceasing through our day, that our prayers don't have to be long and lengthy. I think sometimes we just choose not to pray because we don't think we have time or space, and so we just don't do it. When in reality, our prayers can actually be simple and to the point when we truly ask in His name and in His power and in His finished work. They can be effective and meaningful and useful, simple and to the point when we truly ask in His name. So here's another aspect I want to cover. Um, I was thinking about this, you know, when I lead worship, I lead God's people with more confidence when I've been in the Word of God and when the attributes of God are fresh on my tongue and in my heart. I'm just thinking of this even just now as I'm saying it, but wouldn't it be amazing to keep a list in your Bible or in your car or even on your phone in the notes of the attributes of God or even the names of God so that you can pray them over your own life over your family, and over the people that are in your life as you get to go about your day. For instance, if you have a friend who just found out she's pregnant, or maybe you just found out you're pregnant, what if you cling to God in prayer over this by saying, God, I thank you that you are Elohim, which means strong creator. This is one of the names of God, Elohim. Isaiah 44, 24 says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by himself. Doesn't that beautifully posture your heart to pray over this baby that the same God who stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth by himself is going to knit that baby in his or her mother's womb, which is from Psalm 139, of course, Elohim, the strong creator. These are the kind of things that we can pray over our friends, over our own lives, over the people around us. So now that you get where I'm going with this, let's go through some of these names that you could be writing down and praying over your own life. What about praying that God will make himself known as Jehovah God, which means unchanging? You could pray that over your life or a friend's life who might has just had a huge shift or like a change of plans or uncertainty come into their life. Pray, Jehovah God, would you show yourself as unchanging, the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You could take this pretty deep into ministry kinds of prayer. What about praying for a wandering soul? To ask God to reveal Himself as Elkanah, the jealous God, meaning that He desires our affections and our appetites to be pointed to Him above all things. What if you ask God to specifically pursue that person like a man pursues a wife? that their heart might feel pursued by God and that their heart might turn from other things that they're putting their trust in and turn and put their trust fully in God again. What about praying over yourself and your family and friends that God will become our Adonai, which means Lord, meaning that He owns everything. Isn't that beautiful to pray, God, you are my Adonai. Everything I am belongs to you, and I'm going to follow you today. You are my Lord. You are my Adonai. What about praying to Elroy today, the God who sees? I'm going to read to you from this book that I have that I love. It's called God's Names by Sally Michael. I highly recommend it. It's actually a book that I've had a long time in our homeschool library. It's actually written for kids and mine just to help them understand the deep facets of God's names and attributes in His names. So I'm going to read a little bit to you. God is Elroy, the God who sees, the God who sees everyone all the time in every place, the God who sees everyone's thoughts and heart the God who sees tomorrow and next year and all of time, the God who sees and knows and understands all things. Hagar was Sarah's maid. 
Sarah gave her to Abram so that he could have a child. And then Sarah got angry, angry at Hagar and at Abram. So Abram told Sarah she could do whatever she wanted to Hagar. Sarah was so mean to Hagar that Hagar ran away into the wilderness, away from Sarah, away from Abram and everyone. But Hagar was not alone. God knew all about Hagar, and he sent an angel to her. The angel told Hagar to go back to Sarah and to obey her. The angel gave her God's promise. Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. God knew Hagar would have a child, a son. He knew what Ishmael would be like and what would happen to him. God saw inside Hagar's body to the baby. God saw tomorrow and the next year and beyond. God saw the heart of Ishmael. But God saw even more than this. He saw Hagar. He saw her thoughts and her fears, her worries and her feelings. He saw her loneliness and how she was treated by Sarah. He listened to her affliction. God saw and God understood. God saw Hagar with eyes of kindness and love, and he took care of her. Hagar saw something too. Hagar saw a little of who God really is. Genesis sixteen thirteen says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. The list goes on and on, but you could pray that God would show himself to be a strong tower to yourself or to who you're praying for. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You could pray Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide for all our needs, even the needs that we don't even know that we need. (laughs) You can pray this over specific needs that arise for you and others. There's Jehovah Or, which means the Lord is light. And let me tell you, this prayer works. My sweet friend Beth told me once over a situation that we really needed to see God show up in. She said, let's pray, let there be light. First John 1, 5 says, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. There have been some times recently that I've prayed this over situations with my children, especially when it involved matters that I needed God Himself to show my children and not me what was going on. In reality, this can pertain to certain friendships in your kids' lives or in the lives of your friends even, or maybe someone that a friend of you, you know, yours is going to marry. Maybe you just kind of have this red flag over something or like a feeling in your gut. Pray that God will show Himself as Jehovah or God, let there be light on this situation in the name of Jesus and make that a repetitive prayer all day long, as long as you need to pray it. There was a situation recently where I prayed this prayer and I felt like God gave me a specific spirit that I was supposed to pray against from for our home and our family, that I was supposed to pray against this specific spirit that was not of the Lord. And when I prayed against that specific spirit, things started shifting in the natural, like in real flesh and blood. I mean, like plans fell through, planes got canceled, cars broke down. That helped me know immediately that I was on the right track when I prayed against that specific darkness and that the feeling that was kind of stirring in me this red flag about our home and our family, that was the Holy Spirit tipping me off. And so I kept going for it. God, let there be light. Let there be light. And God Himself brought light onto all things, and things were exposed in a way that I didn't have to be the bad guy in the situation. God carefully and actually lovingly 
protected and guarded our family. I know that sounds vague, but I hope you understand what I'm saying is that, first of all, if you have kids, you've been given a God-given authority to pray those kind of prayers. Let there be light over my kids' lives. Let there be light over my kids' friends. If you want God to expose some relationships and things that you just might have a weird feeling in your gut over, ask Him to. Ask Him to expose it. I'm so grateful, first of all, just that the Holy Spirit spoke to me about it, but also that God answered that prayer. He did shed light. He Himself was able to shine over the situation and, again, reveal it to my kids where they could hear from Him. They could see it happening. It's beautiful. Early, I read from Revelation 5, and I know that reading from Revelation can be a strange experience, but I kind of want to end on this. It's hard for us to fully grasp you know, what's going on in Revelation. We're not going to know fully what any of it means, probably until it just begins to play out. <laughs> but we know that we're a part of this glorious mystery when we read it. Sometimes it might sound like the Lord of the Rings, or it's kind of like I was saying earlier about Disney World. I think we just have enough of a thrill seeker in us that reading Revelation makes us understand somewhere deep inside that we're a part of something truly epic, like we're on the good side. And not only are we going to win, but the battle's already been won. So we read it and there's this mystery, but there's also this like sense in us that we belong as well. Well, we do. You and I are in this thing. First of all, remember that Ephesians 2 does say that we are seated in the heavenlies. If you are born again, there are two realities going on. Yes, you're here on earth because your body has not yet fully been redeemed and will be on that final day. But in the meantime, God has purpose for you here. But you're also, the second reality is that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So we're here, but in Christ, we're there. Talk about the thrill of hope. (laughs) I'm gonna read part of Revelation 5 again as we close here, the second part. Verse five says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Did you catch that? The 24 elders are each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I remember getting really excited when I realized that the harps and the singing represented worship and music, and that the bowls full of incense represent the prayers of the saints. We are in this thing. Our prayers matter. They're a part of the landscape of what is going on in the heavenlies right now, and they matter. Even the prayers we breathe out repetitively. And think about that. As I was saying before, when we pray to place in our minds and in our hearts what is true of this Lamb who is worthy, we're praying that same Jesus, the truth of who He really is over our lives today. We're bringing that into our earthly reality today, kind of loosing you know, what's true in heaven onto this earth, onto our lives. And if this God sees our size, which Psalm 38, 9 says, all my longing lies before you, God. My sighing is not hidden from you. If He hears and sees your faintest sigh, most certainly He hears every prayer that you breathe out. He sees 
every prayer that you've got fixed in your mind and in your heart as you're believing what's true today over your own life and over the lives of the people that you are prayerful for. We're going to pause here, which is a beautiful place to pause, just in remembering that we're in on this thing, that our prayers are part of the landscape of what is going on in the heavenlies, and they matter. We'll finish up with part three, along with some other things that I want to share with you on the next episode. But in the meantime, write down those attributes of God. Write down His name somewhere. Do some study on that. Keep them somewhere where you can easily get to them. I'm going to do the same thing. How beautiful it would be to have who He is on our hearts and our lips and our minds as we endure together in these days. I'll talk to you soon.